Simon with Pastor Gino Guillermo, and we are pastors here at Cornerstone Church in Las Vegas, Cornerstone Community Church, and we are with uh, Mr. Sean Doctor, sorry, Dr. Sean Wilhite, distinguished uh, doctor. Yeah, so yeah, it's good to be with you guys. Yeah, well, thanks, John, for carving out like what I know is like super busy life for you, and so thanks for carving out some time for our people. And uh, absolutely. I need, I need to do the introduction thing so because uh, our people need to know you. Uh, Sean is the Christian Studies professor at Cal Baptist University in Southern California. He is an elder at Redeemer Church in Riverside. And he has, this is crazy, is two degrees, two doctoral degrees. Mm. So I, I want, like, but we don't call you doctor, doctor, right? No, and just to push pause, working on the second one. So I don't have it yet, but yes, working on a second one. Yeah, but but Man. what's crazy about the second one, and I'm so like, is the you're having to translate like the hardest Greek there is in the history of church history. <laughs> it's the hardest Greek I've ever had to work on. How about that? <laughs> I know that there's harder Greek, but it is is it is one of the harder Greek texts that I've ever worked on. Wow, and that's Cyril, right? Cyril of Alexandria. Yeah, so working on Cyril of Alexandria, translating translating a work that has not seen English. And so um, one of the works on the Trinity that he has produced probably early on in his career. And yeah, producing a translation of it, it's taken a whole lot of time. Wow, dude, that's great. What century is Cyril? Yeah, Cyril is uh, early, early fourth, mid, uh, uh, sorry, uh, late uh, uh, late fourth, early fifth century. Ah, okay. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. Yep. So, and so then, he's, Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say he's part of the, he's, he's mainly known for the Nestorian controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what leads into the council of Ephesus, then the council of Chalcedon. Mm. So Cal- Chalcedon is 451. Oh, oh, wow. So major okay. contributor yeah. to the, that discussion. So probably uh, Sean's biggest accomplishment is the ability to uh, be one of my good friends for over 10 years now. <laughs> years. Yeah, years. You, honestly. It's been a delight. Well, you deserve a badge. When you get to heaven, I think you get like a special badge for that. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, at times. Uh, so I appreciate you, Sean, and it's been awesome to see uh, and to learn from you and to be, I think there are many things that are high on my study plate because of Sean's influence. And so, uh, yeah, I wish sure. I could like take a month off That's just excellent. to read everything Sean tells me to read. Uh, That's so I have to pick like, but, but my whole basically like starting to read and study Trinity was basically due to just talking about it with Sean. Mm. Yeah. That's Thanks excellent. brother. Appreciate that. Yeah, influence. No, that's, yeah, that's been good. I mean, it's, it's, um, carried over to the church and the guys and it's been, oh, it's been great. Yeah. Oh, that's phenomenal. Good. Yeah. Good, 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 good. Well, it's, it's interesting. Cause, uh, I mean, even in my, my background, I feel like obviously God's the father, God, the son and God, the Holy spirit. Uh, but sometimes then you go, what, like flush that out beyond that. That's and right. so even now, like, I feel like my, my own like prayer life is better because I even understand like better what the Holy, like what he's doing, you know what I mean? And who he is. And wow. Sounds like a right. Trinity podcast in the future looming. Oh yeah. See, we're, <laughs> Sean, we're going to have to have you back for Trinity. Yeah. That'd be a delight. Let's do it. Okay. All right. So what Sean today, um, we, I have this like, right. And maybe this is just my own selfish 
like kind of questions that are in the background. But uh, basically what, what we want to help people think through is, uh, you know, a lot of us, we get saved and we go to the bookstore and we pick up a book by, you know, insert famous author, uh, modern mm-hmm. contemporary mm-hmm. guy, listen to his YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. And then we read all of his collections and then we kind of find out that there's another guy that's his friend. And then we read his friend's collections and then we kind of like slowly mm-hmm. maybe start to branch out a little bit from there. But, uh, I think one of the things that's been helpful from you is learning that maybe what, one of the things I need to do is go, Hey, you know, I need to know this church history thing. Yeah. And so, uh, you have definitely impressed upon me the need to understand it and the significance and importance of it. But I still don't know, like, let's say a guy comes to us and he says, or, or gal and, and one of somebody comes to us and says, Hey, listen, um, I don't know anything about church history and, uh, Church history to me is a white blank page. How do I paint this so that I have some understanding of church history? How do you take them from nothing to something? Yeah. How uh, how long do we have? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I have about two minutes. Yeah. That's an excellent question. And that is, that is one of the, one of the questions uh, to ask here. There, one of my, one of my doctoral supervisors, uh, this is sort of what I say about him because, Augustine talks about the change of loves as a, or the change of desires as a change of loves. And I, I feel like this uh, doctoral supervisor altered my loves for history. He finally made, he finally met, made dead people sound like they were living voices. Hmm. So what, what is, what, how, how do we do this active church history? I think there's kind of two things to even think through. I think some of the times we're, we're more interested in historical theology than we are church history proper. And I don't, I don't want to make a total false dichotomy, but sometimes we're, we're interested in is, is like, so for example, the doctrine of the Trinity in the fourth century uh, would be historical theology. Um, we're looking at kind of the, the, the use of theology in a particular era rather than what was what was it like living in Alexandria in the fourth century? So so those are kind of two different questions. And so what what's sort of helpful is to try to demystify this process for people and to help uh, to help people know how to look at tradition as a whole. So of course we read the gospels. Of course we read Genesis. Of course we're going to read Revelation other aspects of uh, the New Testament. And we want people to be, in, especially in the local church, to be committed to the scriptures. That, that, that obviously is, is of, of high importance. And then when we start moving beyond that, you want to teach them how to read these additional authors as you would any tradition. So, so for example, they go to a bookstore and they pick up a set author great. You, you read them with discernment. You read them with insight. You read them to stretch your boundaries. You read them to help inform you. Same thing. We run back to the Reformation. Uh, 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 John Calvin, uh, Zwingli, Martin Luther, uh, and others. And we read them the same way, discerningly. You read them to give insight. You read them to give explanations. Uh, but often for Protestants, we don't know how to go back any further. 
So often mm. it, the book the book of Acts book of Acts ends. We know something happened in the third and fourth century, and then it just gets really weird until Martin Luther saves us. Mm. Um, and, and part of the, part of the journey that I've undergone, especially at a, at a personal level, with d- jumping into the patristic era, is the, this is our heritage too as Protestants. This is these are our fathers as well, our fathers and mothers, in the sense of it's like we're sitting down with an older Christian listening to the voices of wisdom. And so the fathers are not on the same par as Scripture, but in the same way that we're listening to a modern author, we can then likewise go back to the patristic era and listen to a wise teacher. Um, and so how to, how to do this, how to begin doing this, start with the classics. Uh, the classics is, is really helpful. So, for example, like if you were to read Jonathan Edwards, you sort of kind of – pastors generally know what to go for. When you pick up John Calvin, you sort of know what to go for. You pick up some of the institutes. Um, pick up modern authors. You kind of know the quick classics. And so anyone jumping into this world, um, especially before the – right after the New Testament world, um, but before the Reformation, it, it's just really helpful to go to the easy classics. Um, Basil, of Caesarea on the, on the Holy Spirit. Athanasius, on, on, yeah, Athanasius on the Incarnation. Um, even Augustine. Uh, Augustine's um, work on uh, his confessions. My goodness, I just read it um, maybe a couple months ago. Uh, maybe maybe near the end of fall, so maybe uh, uh, November, December, and it, it brings you to tears, just kind of hearing his conversion story um, and, uh, and whatnot. And so it's just really helpful to kind of demystify that process. Uh, where do we begin? Begin with the classics. Begin with kind of what's been read throughout the years. Yeah, so is that like, uh, you know, you always – when you first get like when I first got saved, like that CBD magazine comes in and you're like scrounging through the, uh, you know, the, the catalog and you're like, get this like 26 volume Philip shaft thing. Like, is that <laughs> like, is that like kind of like a good place to start or, you know what I mean? Like in terms of like, okay. So because what you're saying is, Hey, go, go read some of these classic guys. So then obviously the, yeah. the next question is, okay, well, how do I discover those classic guys? Like, and, and, how do and we just, find those? And just to ask, um, you're, you're talking about like their actual, so, so you're, you're talking about what they actually wrote, like a translation of their actual works. You're not, you're not Absolutely. talking about, yeah, you're not talking about biographies. No, 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 no. Go actually read their voices, read their actual literature in the same way that we would read Jonathan Edwards. Mm-hmm. We're going to read John Owen. We're going to read John Calvin. Go dip from their well rather than reading someone else's book about, we will obviously do both. I, I would not discourage doing both, especially for the churchmen. Yeah. But, but where, where do you start? So like Philip Schaff, Philip Schaff, um, goodness. If you were to, if you were to learn about Philip Schaff, uh, he, he's a trailblazer in terms of American patristic studies, uh, especially with this putting, uh, Greek Latin, um, works immediately accessible to English speakers. Phenomenal. Uh, Philip Schaff would be like reading um, the, the KJV. It, gotcha. it's, good for some, it's good for some, but the, the language might be hard to grasp. Uh, and so is it still useful? 
100% is it still useful? 100% is it still useful? Um, some of the easiest series to, to grasp is what's called the popular patristics series. Popular patristic series. Really uh, small book. They do bite-sized kind of individual books. The translations are, are, are often really well done. Um, to kind of give uh, the, the churchmen kind of a, a grasp of this. It, it's going to feel like an NIV type of read. It's going to be very smooth mm. uh, in terms of translation. Um, and then, the, and there's, goodness, I think there's upwards to 40 to 50 volumes in that. Wow. Are these and like abbreviated? Of- um, you know, because, I mean, when we're reading the book of Acts, in a sense, we're reading church history, Right. Yeah, sure. No, that's the, it's, the, it's the first church history book. Right, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you kind of <laughs> right. wish that there was a continuation of that kind of writing. But then you hit yeah. the fathers and you're just like inundated with, you know, thousands of pages, right? That's right. No, that's exactly right. And that's what, when, when you pick up Philip Schaff, um, like I'm looking at it on my shelf right now, and it, it consists of three different shelves. Like it, it's really big, really mm-hmm. big. Yeah, is there uh, is there a Luke version of the father, you know, of the fathers? Uh, that that would be great. It, no, it, exactly, and that, and then that's where rather than trying to read all of it, because that that is the overwhelming part. It's it's to know, it's to know which classics to read, um, and in what era and why. So, like for example, what do you read in the second century? Mm. Uh, the Didache. The Didache is one of the earliest Christian texts that doesn't make canon, and it ref- and it's probably the size of Ephesians and Colossians put together. Really small. Uh, yeah, I would I would encourage picking up um, uh, the Rule of Faith by uh, Irenaeus of Lyon. Uh, uh, sorry, not the Rule of Faith, Apostolic Teaching uh, by uh, Irenaeus of Lyon. It's probably considered the, uh, what, what we would call the first biblical theology, um, and he is a second-century figure. Martyrdom accounts are, uh, while difficult to hear, are, are beautiful in their own right. So the Martyrdom of Perpetua, uh, another small book, probably, um, probably smaller than the Book of Romans. Um, in terms of size, and here's a here's a picture of two females that are about to be martyred, and it's, and it's kind of the story and diary of their final days. Um, especially Gino's the kind of the the idea that you were just bringing up. Is there a continuation of the Book of Acts? Uh, the uh, 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 Church History by Eusebius, uh, Eusebius of Caesarea, is a fourth century historian. Uh, and he goes back. Um, uh, he goes back to the first century and talks about the the movements of the church all the way up to uh, about three fifteen, just before Nicaea. Hmm. Uh, and so, no, knowing what to read, especially for those that um, just want to get kind of a small glimpse, it's it's really helpful. Um, like once you move into the fourth century, what really matters is the doctrine of the Trinity. That that's where it finally comes to, kind of comes to the fore there in the the fourth century. 
run straight to Athanasius on the incarnation. Mm. We, we still today, whether we're aware of it or not, depend upon his articulation of Christology. Mm. Um, and so to be able to just be familiar with what, what is he doing? Where did he kind of get his ideas? Knowing though that Athanasius was part and parcel of uh, his influence was part and parcel of putting together Nicaea, uh, the, the, the council or the creed, uh, the Nicene creed, uh, which is uh, really uh, a beautiful document um, kind of highlighting what is Christian orthodoxy. And then we can keep moving. Yeah, go ahead. So um, p- part of like, for me, you know, I'm, uh, I love reading those guys and uh, I, re- I work really slow through them because there, there's always this like learning curve each time you read a new guy, right? And you're trying to kind of figure out his That's right. style. But then there's That's always right. in the back of my mind, there's always this like, how do I understand maybe how he works in the broader context a little bit too? Totally. You know, because, I mean, he may talk a little bit about a government persecution here or there, but it's also something else to kind of have an understanding of like, oh, what was, you know, Roman citizenship like? Or, you know, I mean, just basically what was the cultural pressures of like Calvin or just for just for easy, like Calvin or Luther, you know? Um, So how do you like how do you kind of incorporate that? Or is that even maybe like, hey, that's that's kind of outside this. Yeah, no, t- totally part of it. T- totally part of it, and especially especially knowing you, uh, Jason, you you have a knack for history. So those questions always come up, right? Or or will regularly come up. Uh, and and any good translation will have maybe a fifteen to thirty page introduction answering that very question. Oh wow! Who is who is this person? And how does this specific text you're about to read fit within his life? Oh, gotcha. And so, so part of the popular patristic series, every one of them has an introduction, uh, quite readable, quite readable, um, trying to situate the life of the life of the thinker. I like it. That helps because you know, I mean, it's interesting too. It's like one of those things you learn at some point, you got to read the introductions. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you, you ever talk to somebody and they're like, I didn't think the book was good. And you're like, they didn't answer this. Cause they, like it felt aimless. And it was like, <laughs> well, right. in the introduction, Oh, I didn't read the introduction. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's, that's right. Some, some problems are self critiquing. So that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so oh, it's goodness. interesting too. Cause uh, unfortunately I'm not always off Facebook as much as I'd like to be. And so it, it's funny yeah. how like you, you know, you go, you'll go through, uh, different, uh, I don't know how to describe it, different groups of, of Christians. And it's interesting how the narrative or the perceptions they have of things. And so you said this earlier and it, it kind of like, it, it sparked a question in there. And so I want to go back to, mm, but uh, absolutely. it seems to me like there, there's this view that the Catholic church has always been monolithic. So, right. The idea is if you read anything before Martin Luther, you are getting um, what many today would, would, many today might say would be an erroneous Catholic church. Sure. Yeah. 
in my small, like very, very, very limited reading, it kind of seems like maybe the Catholic church before Martin Luther was not monolithic. Yeah, sure. Is that accurate? Yeah, no, that's, that's really helpful. And I, and I want to be very generous, even as I say this, um, I have many, many Catholic friends. Um, even one of my, my dear, uh, a dear mentor is, is a Catholic who's, who's, who's guided, who is, who is currently guiding me through the patristic era. Protestants, it, and I, and I, I want to try to speak, speak gener- generously here. Protestants, uh, want to run straight to, uh, the Reformation because it's the clearest divide between the Catholic and the Protestant uh, relations. Gotcha. Uh, but when we begin reading uh, John Calvin, per se, uh, when we begin reading um, uh, some of his students, some of uh, Martin Luther, um, I believe it was Carl Truman that said, uh, rather than the recovery of Scripture uh, was the, the heart of the Reformation, he suggested that it was a recovery of a correct reading of Augustine as the, as the heart of the Reformation. So when you start reading Reformers, when you start reading the Reformers, you're going to see how much dependent they are upon these patristic voices. But again, it, it's going back to what is the relationship between Scripture and tradition? The, who are these, these patristic figures? They're wise, older Christians that we listen to, but we're allowed to disagree with them. We're allowed to push back with them. We're allowed to kind of wrestle with them in, in different ways than we would with Scripture. So, so what did the Catholic Church look like before then? It, it would be safe to assume, uh, even if we're having the discussion of did the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church look different prior to the Great Schism uh, in the 11th century? Well, well, the answer is, of course. Uh, and I think probably a, a more historical, um, sensitive comment would be, I'm not sure that those clear divides would be as prominent as we see them now. Yeah, that's a good point. So, like, yeah, because we now can look back and clearly see the schisms, right? But it, in the in the in the day, um, goodness, Augustine's writing against other other bishops, mm-hmm. Cyril of Alexandria's writing against other bishops. So it's not as if it's this single movement of the Christian faith and everyone is on board. No, they're still having theological debates and trying to wrestle through uh, hard theological doctrine. Yeah, so basically, like, they did not have a Facebook page, and whoever got the most likes <laughs> was who was determined to be the, the winner of doctrine. Yeah. Well, it seems like if anything was monolithic, what did you say their structure was? So there was a clear delineation of who was who, like a bishop was a bishop, right? The pope was the pope. Yeah. But there was a freedom to communicate within those lines and debate and all that. I mean, would you? Is there? Oh gosh, we're getting, we're digging, we're 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 heading to a different discussion at this point. But um, it just my mind is just exploding with thoughts, and it's just so it's interesting. Fine. That's right. The, the fact yeah. that you brought up Augustine and uh, the Reformation really is a debate about what the Church Fathers are really saying about justification, for example. 
sure. Uh-huh. Is, uh, is um, really, really interesting. Yeah, uh, that's right. And, and, I, and kind of going back to that comment, it, it, it really related, it relates to, did we get the doctrine of soteriology right from Augustine? Or did we get the doctrine of, uh, of Augustine's ecclesiology right? Um, and so that, that's going to be a major divide. Protestants would not, Protestants would not hold to Augustine's ecclesiology, but they yes. would hold to his, they would hold to his soteriology in general. That makes so much so, yeah. yeah. So, in, so in terms of ecclesial structure, uh, uh, goodness, this is, this is where, um, we have to, we have to sort of jump back into the a first century era, second century era. Um, where did the rise of the, the bishop come from. And, and I think, I think the, what's even brought up more is why does the bishop have so much governmental influence, mm. a seemingly gov- so much uh, governmental influence there, there's big hotspots um, in, in terms of where the bishops are located. Uh, so if you can kind of think of the big Mediterranean world, you have uh, Italy, uh, you have Alexandria down in Egypt. Uh, you're going to have Carthage over to uh, the west side of Africa. You're going to have Jerusalem, Antioch. Moving up north from Antioch, you're going to have the Cappadocia air, uh, area, kind of that big, kind of uh, big general Roman Empire. Uh, and so, it, at this point, it's not like they're following one bishop like they would like the current catholic church today follows the pope it wouldn't be it's not that tight uh uh in the the patristic era but in terms of ecclesial structure uh it we want to go we want to pursue what what's called the patron client relationship so so for example considering the roman governor or uh, sorry a uh, roman soldiers in the first century, are they loyal to their uh, commander or are they loyal to Caesar? The, uh, obviously, the answer is both, but Caesar was not the one providing them health and wellness. It was the, it was, uh, the commander. So when push would come to shove, soldiers were loyal to the one who fed them. Um, and it's just, if you got a good general who followed Caesar, then that was Caesar's army. This notion of the patron client relationship factors into second century, third century Christendom. You, you start having the gospel reaching rich people, um, so that they can provide money to the poor money to the church. Uh, they, they provide health. Uh, and so what then, what then happens, uh, they house the church, they then serve as the bishop of the church. And because they're often people of stature, they're, they're probably leading their own cities as well. Hmm. So, so to suggest that the, the bishops is kind of this clear hierarchy, uh, to get it theologically, goodness, we, we, we want to, we want to try to put them in their own social setting. And and it really starts to make sense why the bishops also seem to have so much political power as well. 
See, that's really helpful. Yeah. Wow. I mean, because that that right. I that's mean, that's good stuff. It's it seems, and maybe maybe, and I think you just even answered like my next question. Like, what do you say to the person that's like, eh, I don't need church history, but even sure. that slide, even that answer alone explains so much. Yeah, that's right. right. And yeah. and I mean, unfortunately, I've even seen like believers trash other believers for participating in Lent. And it's like, sure. and, but it's funny because when you right, when you start to understand, Hey, it's not as monolithic, like, and you, if you try not to read, right. If you don't, if you don't narrow your perception too too thin, I don't know how else I want to say That's that. Right. right? Sure. And then, then there is a, there is a place for some of these, what are older and ancient Christian practices in the life right. of a believer. And it's also okay if a church is like, Hey, we're not going to participate in that. Like, Right. I mean, is that right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. How, what do you say to the guy that, I mean, you know, maybe I just answered my own question. I don't know. I see. I'm thinking aloud here. <laughs> yeah. I haven't had my yeah, afternoon really cup of coffee. Um, all <laughs> I've had was a Tapo Chico. And so, uh, well, this is so good right. because I mean, it does force you to, uh, you know, think about the reality that people are just messy and it's great. Um, and we like to think of church history as neat and clean. That's exactly right. And it's really That's not. Exactly right. Yeah, I mean, we just look, look at our social um, structure today, and there's nothing that's neat and clean. Everyone, like, that's everyone right. overlaps at some, you know, at some point. That's exactly over, right. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a good point. That's exactly right. So then, what? So what do you say to the guy that says, "Yeah, you know, I don't think I really need to understand church history." What What are some things that you've that you've kind of like, you know, what What are some motivations you give to that guy? Like, hey, you know, you might. I mean, totally. I'll let you answer that question. No, totally. That and that that's really helpful because that because that now at this point to try to create if I can create two different lanes. So on the left lane, you you have what would be history proper. On the right lane, you would have the history of ideas. And so, history of ideas would look at why does Nicaea sound very Trinitarian? when the Council of Constantinople in 381 sounds a little bit like Nicaea, but it sounds a little bit different as well. So that's, that would be the history of ideas. Uh, but answering m more broadly, why, why church history? And kind of what would you say to them? But it, it's, and it's typically those kind of responses or those type of answers are twofold. They, they either want, it's kind of like the Bible and me, the Bible's all that I need, uh, so I don't need I know I don't need to know history, or or it's I I like the Bible and then all modern authors. And and I uh, what I want to do is kind of run to two different places in the scriptures. The the Christian faith is built upon historical acts. We we have the historicity of the resurrection. First John brings it out with I have touched him I have seen him. I have felt him with my own hands. Uh, the book of Acts, uh, uh, while theological, also paints how did the gospel, starting in Jerusalem, go to the end of the earth? Um, and so part of history, part of history, why, why do we like history? It's because it's part of us seeing how does the gospel go out in larger areas. Uh, uh, another 
kind of a third one as I'm thinking out loud here, uh, Hebrews 11. I think Hebrews 11, we, we talk about it as, as the hall of faith. And the, the book of Hebrews seems to look backwards. Um, however, I, I, don't, I don't see why it couldn't also look forward. As we ourselves are running this race, we have, I don't want to get too mystical either, so I'll, I'll, let, you, I'll let you check me here. But we have like these spiritual encouragers, cheerleaders, cheering us on in our race. And so why do we read Athanasius? Because I know that he is in heaven also cheering me on to uphold Christological orthodoxy um, in a different way than, than how I'm reading, uh, reading the scriptures. Um, so th- so there's, there's, there's multiple, multiple reasons why church history, I think, the, I think for starters, it is tied to Christianity being a historical set of events as well. Um, if, if we if we look at it more spiritually and more theologically, does that same person claim that the Spirit of God is moving this church, today's church, today's Christians? So part of reading church history is that you're reading how the Spirit of God moved in Christians, fallible Christians all throughout history. And so it is a way to draw us back to God, um, knowing that he still leads his children, his daughters, his sons through various hardships, and he still upholds his church. That's a really good point. I think that's, even even for me, because you look back and, you know, you read some of these guys and you go, oh, that's not the way we'd say that today. And I always have this thought that like, totally. sometimes somebody will kind of, you know, uh, I'll hear a critique and, I, and I, I sometimes wonder, like, in 100 years or 200 years, they might look back on the church of today and there's going to be a handful of people cringing going, I can't believe they didn't see this. Indeed. Yeah, so it's it's interesting how, how the, the sm- even the minor amounts of church reading I've done it actually drives you to be a little bit more gracious to people. Very much so. Yeah. yeah, it drives you to be gracious. And and I like what Gino Gino said earlier. Church history is messy. Yeah. It it reveals it, it's a corridor of messy, broken people that the Spirit of God has still moved and led and converted and grown, um, even all through their faults. Every we can go through every figure. And we're going to find something. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, there's something about heritage too. I mean, especially with, yep. you know, someone like me who I, I don't know, my family tree doesn't go too far back. At least I can't trace it, you know, and I, I'd like to think I come from a king. And well, the more I think about it, you know, I kind of do Jesus. He's kind of king, right? <laughs> right? So, right. but there's something about <laughs> right. having a heritage and knowing that you could trace your heritage and, you know, not necessarily ethnicity, but gosh, we, we all kind of, come from a, a, right. a specific heritage and it's beautiful. That's, yeah, no, that's right. That's the, 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 yeah, no, that's, that's really helpful. The moment, uh, that, um, uh, it, that's probably an overstatement. It's an overstatement in my mind. So I'll, I'll back off that. The, the, the idea of Protestantism having its roots in the patristic era, um, is really important because of that very heritage. 
um, and picking up Carl Truman's comment to, to rightly understand the Reformation. Yes, it's a recovery of scripture, but more so it's, it's a recovery of Augustine and a, a particular vein of Augustine. And so right away, it then throws us into the fifth century Christianity, knowing then that that can tie us back to Nicaea. I like it. It's it's so funny. The more I, the more you like even try to. It's so interesting because you're saying, you know, it's encouraging because it's like, wow, I have connected a couple of dots accurately, and you know, so sometimes you need to. Totally. Hear, yeah, because you know, you're not sure. You're, you're like, man, I'm not really sure, and you know, you try Absolutely. to be like, honey, have you read this? And she just looks at you. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, I love you too. Uh, uh, so that's something exactly so right. Sean gets like random texts at like 1130 at night. Hey brother, like I was just wondering this. <laughs> that's right. And so he wakes up oh, at 3 a.m. So to study good. and you know, he's so get these responses at 3 a.m. And it's like, yeah, I'm still sleeping. I'll be, I'll be up about nine today. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So, oh, uh, man. Hey man, I really appreciate it. This is super helpful. Uh, I pray good. that what, that what helps is that our church kind of hears this and, you know, I think yeah. that's the, for me, it was like, you start even, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, when I say I've glossed like maybe 20 texts, like, so I haven't even scratched the surface mm. and sure. instantly you realize, wow, no, this is sticky. Right. Yeah, Again. Totally. And I think, you know, I think the, maybe the perception sometimes is that church history is like, like, again, like everything's voted on right away and there's some, like some kind of vote and it's like, you know, you yeah. get the sense that no, it's a, it's a long discussion and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure even yeah. guys sat down at night and had a beer together and talked about some yeah. of these different writings. And, you know, back yeah. then, was it grog? It wasn't beer, was it? <laughs> so it was probably something. Right. I actually don't know. It was probably wine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then, then, then the Lord delivered scotch and bourbon and it got a little better. So. <laughs> oh, goodness. That's but it great. was probably yeah. always over a pipe. Mm. Uh, probably always over that. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Hey man, yeah. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. Hey, and thank uh, you so much. Thank Sean. you yeah. for it was a delight. doing this. Thanks, Thanks yeah. for having me. This is helpful. And so, um, yeah, we are, well, we just, so walking away where we, we asked him like what to start with. Right. We yeah. talked about a few, I, I wrote down a few things so we can kind of point our people yes. in a, a certain direction. And, uh, yeah. Why, why church history? And yep. uh, Sean kind of went through, I mean, there's so yeah. many reasons why. Honestly, you know, yeah. and, and even just some helpful, like, shatter your presuppositions of, of a monolithic, neat and sure. clean and pretty history. Totally. I have, I have yeah, a significant totally. question to ask you, though. Uh, yeah, just it. to end in the conversation. Yeah, I, I already know <laughs> what this question is. So, be. so the fact that the fact that you're laughing that that's that that's the response of exactly somebody right. that has known me for a long time. He lives in California, right? Exactly right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, everybody <laughs> laughing like I love it. That that's that's oh, the you know. Uh, have you had the Habit Burger? I have had the Habit Burger. Okay, so key question here. Yeah. Uh, which one would you prefer, the Habit or In and Out? Oh man, <laughs> you can't I, do I knew it. it. I knew it. You can't do this. Okay, uh, I because I lived out of California for uh, for about uh, four years, 
I was not craving the habit. I was craving in and out. So I'm going to have to choose in and out. Oh, okay. Now, is that because of the sauce or the patty? Okay, I'll give you that. The habit patty is different and I think better than the in and out patty at face value, but it's the whole package that I would choose in and out. Yeah. And you grew up in California. You're a SoCal guy. Uh, I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. So you grew up on yeah. the in and out. We're see, so we're seeing yeah, we're seeing how historical um, you know, <laughs> historical components of a person influences their yes. their their wisdom and their decisions. That is exactly <laughs> right. See, when you're an uh, Oklahoma boy it. and there's no in and out in Oklahoma and you you know, like good burgers are a dime a dozen in Oklahoma. And so you, That's right. yeah, I, I always tell the guys I respect both. Uh, I'm not going to turn either one down, mm-hmm. but I, yeah. I may prefer okay. the one over the other. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. yeah that's think, okay. Yeah. I, I think you prefer the habit, right? I do. I think we, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I second that too. I just had, yeah. Okay. It's, okay. it's, Good. uh, the sauce. I'm not a huge fan of the sauce. And so, uh, I always oh, order yeah. mine without okay. the sauce and with mustard instead. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. That's the, the only yeah. thing we debate about in our internally yes. in our church, by the way. We, there's no doc, <laughs> doctrinal divides. It's really just a, it's are you in and out or habit or and do you drink good coffee or bad coffee? That's it. That's that's yeah. the only thing we fight about. So there, oh, there, I love it. <laughs> there is a rising discussion, though, on sparkling water. Oh, well, OK, yes. Yeah, but but that that's for a different time. Yeah. So, yeah. hey, uh, thanks, Sean. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. And Sean. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, Sean Wilhite, hey, Dr. Sean Wilhite. Yep. Thanks for, to the two of you. This was a delight. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, of course. Right. Churchman, elder, Southern California. We'll be praying for you. And uh, you have a home here in Vegas if you're swinging through. Yes, sir. Excellent. Yeah, we won't tell Thank anybody you. what you did while you're here. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're looking forward to the the church history series and then reconvincing him and bringing him back into the fold uh, of the habit. Yes, yes, exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Right. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Bye-bye. 